0: Hope everyone's doing well tonight. Hope everyone had a great Labor Day weekend. Uh, welcome to our online viewers as well. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is RJ. Uh, before we get into the verses, why don't we go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day, uh, for the blessings you've given to us, for this time to come together as a body of believers and just learn what you're telling us through your word. Please help us to keep our focus on you. Uh, please help what what is true and accurate to be at the forefront of our mind, and please help us to keep our focus on you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So like I said, we are continuing in our 2 Timothy series. Uh, tonight we're getting into chapter 4, uh, covering verses 1 through 5. Now just by way of reminders, some background info. I know we typically go over this every week, but this letter is written from Paul to his spiritual son, disciple Timothy. Uh, While Paul is in Rome for the second time in prison. Um, This is one of the last letters that we have from Paul before he is martyred for being a believer. And the the verses that we're going to be covering tonight seem to be the final summary of what Paul is trying to get Timothy to understand in his letter. Because of that, we're going to see a lot of a lot of similar themes that Paul has made mention of throughout this letter. They're going to be repeated in these verses tonight. But before we get into the verses, there's uh, something I'd like us to try and keep at the forefront of our mind. I'm going to ask a question, something I want to kind of, something I want to, to permeate, to kind of circulate in our mind as we go throughout the verses tonight. And that question is, uh, how much importance do I, do you, do we place on the preaching of the word of God in terms of our spiritual life and in terms of our service and our work for God? Is it as important to us as it should be? Because as we go through the verses tonight, they're they're going to apply to us in, in mainly two ways. First, all of us who are believers, we're told to go out and proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the inspired word of God to those in the world who need to hear it. And so what Paul says to Timothy in terms of how important the scriptures are in our proclamation, in our evangelizing, the unbelieving world, that's paramount for us to understand and get a grasp on. secondly, um, all of us have the word of God preached to us typically at least once a week uh, if you're here typically twice a week but it's It's vital for us as believers to gather together and hear the word of God preached to us applied to us So when we gather together on Wednesdays Sundays, do we come in the right mindset? Are we ready for are we seeking for the inspired word of God through the preaching of an elder pastor to reprove, reprove us, rebuke us, exhort us, instruct us in what we need to know about who God is and what he calls us to as believers. So that's something I'd like for us to kind of keep in the forefront of our mind as we go throughout the verses tonight. But hopping right on into the verses, starting in chapter 1, or not chapter 1, wow, well, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Pause. We'll keep moving on in a second. But as we can see, whatever whatever this charge is that Paul's about to bring to Timothy, it's, it's given in the presence of God the Father and God the Son. And in light of what Paul has said earlier in the letter, we understand that it's given with the empowering work of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that will allow Timothy to do this work, to fulfill this charge. And this is the idea the in the presence of God, that similar wording that Paul used in chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, as well as in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. And we're going to look there at 1 Timothy chapter 6 real quickly. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach, until the appearing of our lord jesus christ which he will bring about at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign the king of kings and lord of lords who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see to him be honor and eternal might amen so as we can see with this first timothy 6 reference this second timothy 4 section that we're on right now it's there's a very similar idea that paul's trying to convey in both letters the charge given in the presence of God comes at the end of the letters it's in the presence of God the Father and God the Son and it's Pauls presenting some of the big main points he wants Timothy to take away from the letter so whatever this charge is it's important it's vital it's one of the big main points that Paul's trying to get Timothy to focus on in his ministry work and the fact alone that it's in the presence of God shows that it's not some flippant thing Timothy's to ignore There's a seriousness, there's a weightiness to it that he's to fulfill this charge in the presence of God. So he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. So not only is this charge given in the presence of God, Paul backs up that seriousness with a couple of motivating factors, things that Timothy should... Remember, keep in mind to help keep him motivated as he looks to fulfill this charge. First, Christ is going to judge both the living and the dead. Christ has been appointed judge. That's part of what happened at the resurrection and ascension. Peter makes mention of that in the book of Acts. But since Christ is the righteous judge, Paul's telling Timothy, you're going to stand before him someday. You need to be prepared. God's going to judge you based off off your work, based off how you fulfill this charge. And Paul himself says, down in verse 8 in the same chapter, chapter 4, he says, I'm going to stand before the righteous judge, who is Christ, and I know I'm going to receive the crown of righteousness, along with all of us who have loved his appearing, because I've fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've, I've ran the course. And that's, so that's the first motivating factor. Christ is judge, you're going to stand before him. Second, Christ is coming as the conquering king. That's when his kingdom will be made manifest is at his second coming. And so as we, as we think about what Paul's telling Timothy here, like there's a king coming back. He expects something from you. This, this idea, this concept, at least for me, made me think of one of the parables that Jesus told and we see that in Luke chapter 19 verses 11 to 27. It's a little bit of a longer section, but it adds time on. So you know what? It works. But we're looking at it's the parable of the talents. And Now it says, now while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And it happened that when he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know how how much they had made in business. So the first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, You are to be in authority over ten cities. Then the second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a cloth, for I was afraid of you, because you are a strict man. You take up what you did not lay down, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, From your own mouth I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am a strict man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank, and having come, I would have collected interest. Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. So we see in that parable what what Jesus is saying there is what Paul is trying to echo to Timothy here when he reminds Timothy, Christ is coming again, His kingdom's going to be made manifest. Christ is coming as the victorious King. You have to give an account for what you're doing with what this charge is, if you fulfill it, if you fully accomplish it. So then the question is, okay, there's so much seriousness and weightiness to whatever this charge is, what is it? And that's where we get into verse 2. Paul says the main charge is Timothy, preach the word. Everything else flows from that. Preach the word. And that word Greek, that word in Greek for preach means proclaim like a herald. Now it's probably not the best illustration, but it made me think of, you know, those newspaper boys in like the 18 and 1900s standing on a street corner screaming out whatever the news is to try and get someone to buy a paper. That same idea, that proclamation and that word that Timothy is to be proclaiming that needs to be understood in light of what Paul has just said a few verses up that Eric covered last week. See in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through 17 Paul's going to define what that word is for us. It says, but you continue in the things you learned and became convinced of knowing from whom you learned them And that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what Timothy is to proclaim is the word of God the scriptures to proclaim all of it. Because all of it is God-breathed, all of it is authoritative, and all of it is sufficient for what all of us, whether we're a believer or unbeliever, need in terms of salvation, spiritual life, and knowing who God is and what he expects of us. Now that idea of scripture being sufficient, it's a specific doctrinal name called sufficiency of scripture, simple enough, and there's a lot of different ways Theologians tried to define it. The best one that I thought, you know, was clearest, made the most sense, uh, was from Wayne Grudem's uh, Bible Doctrine book. Said the sufficiency of Scripture means that in Scripture is contained all the words of God. He intended His people to have at each stage of redemptive history, and that it now contains everything we need God to tell us for salvation, for trusting Him perfectly, and for obeying Him perfectly. And this is something that, as we go further on in the verses tonight, we're going to see this isn't a popular idea in the world then or in the world now that God's word is authoritative and sufficient for what you need to obey him and trust him perfectly. And that's, that's part of what Paul has been warning Timothy about in chapter 2 and in even in 1 Timothy. Timothy, don't get sucked into godless and empty chatter. Don't get distracted from what God's calling you to because this, this word, this scripture is what people need to hear. It's what builds Christians up. It's what leads unbelievers to faith in Christ. You can't compromise on preaching and proclaiming that word. Don't let your message get distorted. So then if we know what Timothy is to proclaim, then the next question is, okay, cool. I know how to do, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. How often do I do it? Well, moving, in, moving on in verse two says, be ready in season and out of season. Well, that's pretty much all the time then, isn't it? You're not really in any other, other season. You're either in season or out of season. And your translation may or may not have it as uh, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, or some even have it as whether it's convenient or not. And that's the point is that the word of God, the truth of God's word, we're to be ready to proclaim that word at all times, whether whether it harms us, whether we're, going to offend somebody, whether we're going to get in trouble with the authorities, with our employer, whatever, because we believe that the scriptures are the true revelation of God. And because they contain the truth of the only way people can be saved, which is through faith in Christ Jesus, then that's what we need to be proclaiming, no matter what the consequences are. We need to be ready, whether it's convenient or not, to proclaim the scriptures to those who need to hear it. And that doesn't apply only to unbelievers. That applies to us as believers as well. Our pastors, our elders should be ready to proclaim that word to us even if it offends us, even if it pricks our conscience, even if it makes, ups, even if it makes us upset. And that's going to lead into what Paul's going to say next, continuing in chap- in verse 2. It says, Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And... Timothy's able to do all these responsibilities because they are a byproduct of preaching the word. Because he's preaching the word of God, he is able to reprove, rebuke, and exhort believers and unbelievers effectively. So I want to go a little bit deeper, kind of get a better understanding of what these three things are, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So looking at reprove, uh, that means to correct or convict. um, Some translations may actually have it as or convince. That's just simply the idea of, you know, convincing someone that they're in the wrong, they need to change what they're doing, do it the right way. Stop sinning, believe in Christ. That's reproof. Rebuke. That's a little bit more of a a harsher word, it's a little bit more of a severe word. Uh means to denounce or to give strong disapproval to. Um, It's it carries with it the idea of a threat of punishment. If you don't stop what you're doing, bad things are going to happen to you. Knock it off. That's the idea with rebuke and exhort. That's you know means to implore, urge is a little bit more of a a lighter word, a more comfortable word. It it can also be translated as encourage. And actually, in the New Testament, when that Greek word is used, uh, typically it means calling someone to salvation or calling a believer back to their relationship with God. So there's urgency, there's seriousness when you're exhorting someone, but you're not being harsh, you're not being severe with with the person. And Timothy is to do all these things, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. Now, some translations may have it, with all patience and instruction, and that's perfectly fine, because let's be honest, um, all of us, you know, can be incredibly stubborn, depending on what someone else is telling us to do, Even, I- especially if we don't like it. Um, I'm sure there were people on Timothy's day who just drove him up a freaking wall, made him want to snap and chew their head off, but he had to be patient. Paul's saying, hey, that's not going to be the best way to get through to these people. Be patient. And probably the best way, I mean, I know not all of us are t- church leaders, but probably the best way for us to think about it, if if you have kids if you have a younger sibling or anything like that, you know that when you're trying to get them to understand something, it takes so freaking long sometimes for them to get the point. You have to be incredibly patient, especially when your baby won't, oh, multiple things, multiple things. And that's that's the idea that Paul's calling Timothy to there. Timothy, be patient. Be patient with these people. It's going to take a lot of time. And it didn't only apply to Timothy. It applies to us when we're trying to evangelize people and it applies to our pastors and elders here as well. Because if if we're honest with ourselves, we know ourselves best. I'm sure every single one of us has, I don't want to say this, has stressed the patience of one of our pastors or elders throughout our time here. Maybe we, you know, we know they are, saying something to us that we really don't want to hear. If we can set our pride aside sometimes, be a little more humble, listen to what God is trying to tell us as they preach his word. Maybe we can, you know, save them some gray hairs, save, you know, let them keep the hair on their head. It might, (laughs) so it might be a little late for Chris, but, you know, some of the other guys we can try. But, anyways, moving on to verses three and four. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. Now that word doctrine there, um, that's the same word that's found in Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen. Uh, where Paul says that you know, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. That word teaching and doctrine, same word in Greek. So what this sound doctrine that people are turning away from, it's the scriptures. It's the truth of God found in the scriptures and what's been made manifest in Christ Jesus. And the idea of um, the time coming where people are going to turn away, that should call us back to the beginning of chapter 3, where Paul says, you know, in the last... There's a time coming when people are, you know, going to turn away. All these sins, all this depravity is going to come. And on top of all of that, people are not going to endure what the scriptures have to say. They're not going to want to hear what what they tell, what it tells them. And that the rejection of the truth of God's word and falling deeper and deeper in sin, they go hand in hand. The, The more you turn away from the word of God, the deeper into sin you get. The deeper into sin you get, the more hardened you will be to what the word of God is trying to tell you and convict you of. And the more you'll reject it. And it's just a vicious cycle that goes back and forth and back and forth. And that's something Timothy needed to be aware of. That part of that call to be patient is in light of what's happening here. And it's something that we need to be aware of as well as we look to try and take this word, take the scriptures out into the world. The deeper people fall into sin, the more they are not going to want to hear what you're trying to tell them in the scriptures. They don't, they don't believe the word of God is authoritative. They don't believe the word of God is sufficient for what it means to obey God. Instead, they want people who are going to make them feel comfortable, affirm their pet sins, their lifestyle, their choices, their sinful choices, and they're going to turn aside to false teachers. They don't, the word of God is going to convict and, you know, might make you a little uncomfortable sometimes. It might make them uncomfortable sometimes why be uncomfortable when there's a false teacher here who's gonna tell me what I want to hear make me feel good about the sin that I'm living in and so in light of what is happening in the world how should Timothy and how should we kind of handle those situations well like I said that call for great patience or all patience at the end of verse 2 would apply to in this situation as well But I think there's a little bit of a a clearer reference in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Paul kind of lays out for Timothy how he's to handle, how to handle those who are in opposition. He says, and the Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the full knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So not only is Timothy to be patient, not only are we to be patient, he's to be gentle in correcting those who are in opposition. And we should be gentle as well, with the hope that God will grant those we are trying to evangelize repentance. God will grant them repentance and lead them into his truth. And that leads us into verse 5 where Paul gives Timothy some final commands about what he's to focus on, especially in light of the fact that people aren't going to want to hear what you're trying to say to them, what you're trying to proclaim to them, Timothy. Be patient, be gentle, but also we can think of what Paul says in verse 5 as a trust the process verse. Timothy, just focus on these things, keep doing what you need to be doing, and if people don't listen to what God's word says, so be it. You focus on these things. So getting into verse 5. It says, but you, be sober in all things. Pause. So that word sober means self-controlled. Uh, that There's an echo um, of a command that Paul gave in the beginning of the letter, actually. Where it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So Timothy is to be self-controlled. He's not to get sucked into the sinfulness of the world, not to get sucked into what the world wants him to preach, wants him to say, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, because as we know, self-control is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, he's to avoid those things. And not only is it a command that's given to a church leader, a pastor, or an elder by Paul, Peter actually gave a very similar command to the believers he was writing in, writing to in his letter uh, in 1 Peter. So we'll go there, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Peter says, Therefore, having girded your minds for action, being sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not being conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. So, Peter tells believers there, you're there to be self-controlled, there to be focused on God, and striving to be holy, just as he is holy. So, not only does being self-controlled apply to pastors, elders, church leaders, it applies to us as well. Secondly, Paul says, Endure hardship. That means endure suffering, be ready to suffer misfortune. And as far as I know, I didn't research this a whole lot, I'm pretty sure Paul talks about suffering in every single one of his letters. The only one that I maybe potentially he doesn't is Philemon. I don't know, I could be wrong. But there are quite a few references here in 2 Timothy. This is a theme that Paul brings up so many times. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Paul calls for Timothy to join with him in suffering for the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Paul calls for Timothy to suffer with him as a soldier in Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10-12, through 12, what Eric covered last week, Timothy has followed in Paul's sufferings, and Paul warns that, you know, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And finally, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, Paul is suffering and enduring hardship. He's in chains, he's in prison. And part of the reason is so that others may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. And I think that that last reference there for, for Timothy and for us, that's one of the the big reasons we need to be prepared to endure hardship, to endure suffering. And I'm, I'm not saying it's something easy for us to wrap our minds around, especially here in the U.S. We Any misfortune, any persecution we have by and large is very minimal and very light in light of what people have suffered in the past and in light of what people are suffering around the world. But it's something we need to be prepared for, especially as we see the world and the country in particular kind of go in a worse direction. But if we're serving Christ, if we're looking to obey him, to share his word and his truth with those who need to hear it, if that means being mistreated, so be it. We need to be prepared to suffer. Because if we really believe that the scriptures are the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus, then that's something everyone who doesn't believe needs to hear about. Because if they don't hear it, they're going to be suffering for eternity. And that that temporal suffering that we go through when we're trying to share the word with someone and the We get thrown in prison, we get fired, someone laughs and mocks us. That light, temporary affliction is nothing to what the person who doesn't hear that word is going to suffer for eternity. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go out looking for suffering, going to, you know, tick someone off on purpose. But if persecution, if suffering, if hardship comes because we are being obedient to Christ and proclaiming his word to those who need to hear it, and we're called to endure it. That's, that's what we're called to as believers. That's what our master went through. That's what we need to be prepared to go through as well. Moving on in verse 5. It says, do the work of an evangelist. And that actually plays in really well to what I just said on the previous point. Because all of us as believers are proclaimers of the good news, of the risen king, we're commanded to take that good news out into the world, to everyone irregardless of if they smell weird or look weird or anything. Everyone needs to hear that truth. And if it brings persecution, so be it. If it doesn't, cool, awesome. I'm not saying persecution is a good thing. I'm saying if if it comes, we need to endure it because that's our job as believers, that's our job as evangelists. So in in our conversations, our actions, our interactions, whatever we may be doing, our ultimate goal with everyone we interact with is to lead them to a saving faith in Christ based off the truth of the scriptures. And finally, Paul calls for Timothy to fulfill his ministry. That word fulfill just means fully accomplish. And there, throughout this letter, there are really two, two parts that go in with that fully accomplishing his ministry. And we're going to go down to verse 17 in chapter 4 to kind of get an idea of the first point that Paul paul makes mention of so in second timothy chapter 4 verse 17 says but the lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the preaching might be fulfilled or fully accomplished and that all the gentiles might hear and i was rescued from the lion's mouth so the first point is god gives paul the strength to fully accomplish the ministry that he's (laughs) been called to to the gentiles the second point we'll go back to the beginning of the letter to get an idea of Says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, he says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. So on the one hand, we see God gives Paul the strength to fulfill his ministry, but at the same time, Paul is telling Timothy, Hey, rekindle this gift that God has given you. You have a responsibility here as a workman of God to f- accomplish your ministry, the, the work that God's given to you. Now, Timothy, you're not on your own to accomplish this work and this ministry. God's given you his spirit. God's going to give you his strength. God's going to protect and provide for you so that Timothy and all of us who are believers can fully accomplish the ministry that God has called us to. And now we may not all be pastors, elders, church leaders, but we all have certain gifts and skills that we can use in the service of Christ to help lead others to him. And that's, that's part of what the point of what Paul's trying to get at is God's going to strengthen you. God's going to provide for you. God's going to, if you're looking to serve him, God's going to make a way for you to fulfill the ministry he has assigned for you. But at the same time, we don't, you know, sit on our butt and wait for it to happen. We need to go out and look to accomplish that ministry that he's calling to, calling us to. And at the end of the day, our ministry, our work is sharing the truth of God's word with those who need to hear it. We may do that in different ways. We may, you know, someone may be out standing on a street corner preaching. Someone might be serving food to homeless people, whatever it is. At the end of the day, you're looking to share the truth of God's word with those who need to hear it. So in conclusion, to kind of wrap up the verses tonight, I'd like to go back to the beginning, that beginning question that I asked. Do we place as much importance on the preaching, the proclamation of the word of God as we should? First, as we seek to take it out to those in the world who need to hear it. And secondly, as we sit under the preaching of the word of God and have it applied to us. So first, are we keeping the the proclamation of the word of God front and central in our work, in our ministry? I mean, because if we look at what's going on in the world right now, in the country right now, our first response should not be proclaiming some sort of political opinion, some sort of social program, or some sort of philosophical argument of why people on the other side are wrong. The only thing that's going to fix the problem, ultimately, is proclaiming the Word of God. All those other things are insufficient to deal with the issue because they're not based on the truth of God's Word. I'm not saying those things are wrong in and of themselves. I'm saying our first response, if we want to fix the issue, is bringing the Word of God to those who need to hear it. If we want to see the world changed, souls need to be saved. And that salvation comes through preaching the scriptures, proclaiming the truth of God's word. And that's what we're called to as believers because the word of God is the only thing that is fully and wholly sufficient to deal with the sinfulness of the world, the evil in the world, and to lead others to Christ. So that's the first point. Secondly, when we gather together as a body of believers, when we gather together as a church, do we view the preaching and the proclamation of the word of God by one of our pastors or elders as the vital nourishment that our souls need as believers? Now, don't get me wrong that the the singing, the fellowshipping is awesome. You know, if you're a hardcore introvert like I am, it gets you out of your comfort zone and makes you grow as a person. But those aren't the primary reasons we gather together here on Wednesdays, Sundays, any other time. The main reason we gather together is to hear the word of God preached and proclaimed. Now, if you're doing your own Bible study at home, that's awesome. That's, that's absolutely necessary. But that can't be separated from the public proclamation of the word of God and vice versa. Like we can't only hear the word of God on Wednesdays and Sundays. We need to be doing our own Bible study as well. But as believers, both in our, our own individual spiritual lives and the spiritual life as a body of believers, as a church. We need to have, you know, pastors and elders preaching and proclaiming the word of God to us, reproving, rebuking and exhorting us and instructing us. Because if we're, if we're honest with ourselves when we're doing the Bible study at home by ourselves, If there's a portion that we know, you know, that talks about don't lie, don't hate your brother or anything like that, and it's like, I've been struggling with that lately. I'm going to, oh, pages stuck together. Guess I'm not going to cover that tonight. But uh, a pastor, a preacher, an elder, they're there to bring that into your life, to convict you and make you grow, whether you like it or not. And so, and especially, even if it's not something like that, if it's just a portion of scripture, that's challenging, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around god has given certain men in the church the gift of preaching teaching leadership shepherding the body of believers and that's he's given those gifts for a reason we need to as a body of believers as individual believers we need to grow in our spiritual life by having the word of god preached and applied to us and if if paul's telling timothy hey The main thing I want you to take away from all of this is preach the word of God. One as a believer, two as a church leader. Unbelievers need to hear it. Your congregations need to hear it. If it's so vitally important for Timothy and for pastors and elders to be preaching the word, how important is it for us as believers to be sitting under the preaching of that word and learning about who God is and what he's called us to? Well, that's all I had for tonight. So why don't we go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day, for the blessings you've given to us. Please help us just to keep our focus on you, God, as we go throughout the rest of this week and the rest of the day. Please help us to seek to share your word faithfully with those we interact with and to, to keep our focus on you, to seek to know you more deeply as we hear your word preached and proclaimed. Please help us to rest and rely on you. Please just protect and provide for us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.